0: Welcome back to the Electrify Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Electrify News Podcast. I am Matt Teske. I here with Joe Boris. And I'm actually finally here with Joe Boris because sometimes technology is just entertaining, right, Joe? I mean,
1: I, mean, I think technology is going to ultimately enslave us all. But not so, like in the Terminator way where there's like robots. It's just like in a really frustrating way where we're all on hold, desperately screaming, representative, representative. <laughs> <And we can't
0: laughs> I love being that house. guy. And my wife's always like, I know exactly what you're doing now. And the computer's not listening. I'm like, they better listen. So. <laughs>
1: exactly. Well,
0: exactly. so you, you've successfully joined. And I have to say, so the first thing we want to talk about is what SEMA has decided to flex its political muscles. And you had what I would only describe as one of the best like rants about this. And then your internet decided to just take a hike. So where do you want to start from? Yeah. I mean, I don't know.
1: I don't know if I can get that same sort of like Andy Rooney, Lewis black self-righteous rage back for this one, but I can say, It was good. It was okay. It was okay. I'm angry. I have anger. Yeah. So what? I I could be a middle aged white guy in suburbia. I have anger. That's <laughs> fun. No one's judging. You know the the short. Thank you. The short version was that there's a lot of noise being made by a number of SEMA members who are upset about the ZEV requirements and ZEV mandates that are coming out in a number of states. I think we're almost at a dozen states now. That are saying by 2035, we want to phase out internal combustion. And the argument that SEMA is making in the bill that they're sponsoring is that, well, we want to guarantee that people have a choice of what kind of fuel powers their vehicles. But like the really ironic thing is like this is a battle that's already been lost, right? Like we're 12 years away from a mandate. The overall market is down like 30% from its peak in 2017. But the only thing right now that's limiting EV sales is supply. Like the market is shrinking. EV sales are booming. Dealers can't get enough of them. Buyers can't get enough of them. This is not happening because there's a government mandate. This is happening because this is what the people want.
0: Well, I think it's a combination of the two. Um, Yeah, I think there's still plenty of people. You you really think
1: there's somebody sitting there in Tulsa, Oklahoma going, Hmm, that government mandate's coming in twelve years. I better get a Tesla.
0: No, my point being is that it's not. It's the foregone conclusion. I don't think it's foregone conclusion that the public is saying this is all we want because there's a oh, lot of evidence. That's fair.
1: That's fair. Yeah, that, okay. That's.
0: I mean, and and that's evident all the time by sake of the fact that number one, this bill even exists, <laughs> and eh. number two, well, because again, these are all individuals who are saying like, okay, what's the motivation behind this? And it could either, either be politically motivated, it could either be power and you know and money motivated, or it could just be personally motivated from individuals who are like, I don't want to do this yet. I don't trust it for whatever reason that might be. And it's certainly not a 50-50 split. There are still plenty of skeptics out there. And so there is certainly a lot of momentum for EVs. And I think that's what they're trying to fight with this bill. I, I, to your point, it's, it's just kind of like, wow, this is a death rattle type moment. And on top of that, for the amount of you know, for what SEMA could be weighing in on, this seems like one of those ones. To your point about, like, this is just about the fuel. Like, you're the Specialty Equipment Market Association. Like, that has nothing to do with fuel type. So, no. are we just gonna are we gonna these special like the Specialty Emissions Market Association?
1: Like, wow, like, they would love that.
0: <laughs> sorry, I mean, I, I I went to SEMA for almost 20 straight years. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of of enthusiasts. You know automotive, you know culture and the aftermarket and what it provides, but this is a natural progression in 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 fuel and powertrain. This something this is something they could embrace immensely and be leaders on. And instead, it's what we're seeing. And and so yeah, to me, it's really surprising. So.
1: I think that you know it's different in other times because SEMA did stuff like this. You know, if you go back to the early '90s, late '80s, when everything was moving over towards fuel injection. And especially Mm. the hot rod stuff, you would see like, you know, people would talk about never, I would never do EFI, and you know, carburetors forever kind of thing. And you saw that kind of aspect of it. And I think before that, there was probably some element of that in the leaded versus unleaded fuels debate, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's always people who are looking backwards and digging their heels in and trying to preserve you know what was and what my daddy taught me under the you know barn pole or whatever, but I think it. I mean, that's a, I think that's a fair statement too because I think a lot of a lot of people have a very similar car culture story of how they were indoctrinated into it, of course, you know, by someone else. And yeah, I think that that's it's hard, right? Because you have that and you have that idea that this is something that you're going to pass down, and how are you going to pass yeah. down love for a technology you don't understand? And I appreciate the difficulty of that, but, you know, I, I look at guys like, you know, Tim Schweitzer senior, you know, he was an old woods brothers guy. He did, you know, all kinds of pro mod and door slammer stuff. And when the turbo motors came out, he was one of those guys who said, you'll never get that thing into the nines. And when his son did get it into the nines, He got, he was the loudest guy cheering at the track and he was, and he doubled down and now he's building the biggest, baddest, you know, R35 GTR motors and, and BMW V10s on the planet. And he's doing that because he embraces the new stuff. And what he's working on now is a full drag Tesla. So like you can evolve, there is still a future, but if you're going to be one of those guys who is just, fighting the progress of history and fighting against the cutting edge just for i don't know what just so you can wear a t-shirt that says gasoline forever I and mean, come on
0: well people are scared of things they don't understand and especially if it directly in, impacts their way of life or their professional existence their livelihood i mean that you could get all we could, we could pivot this immediately into the coal conversation right yeah so This, this is something that is just human nature to fight change and not all humans do it, but many do because it's, there's a lack of the unknown, the the discomfort, the, the, what is this going to do to my life type thing? It's completely understandable. But when it turns when it then pivots into, now we're going to legislate something to make it so we can't change. That's when it's like, okay, come on, really? Yeah. Now you're, now you're using political power to keep progress from happening within society. That, to me, that's when it crosses over to, well, now you're, now you're generally playing a role of making, you know, making progress you know, harder, making technological advancement yeah. harder, making it harder for people to be exposed to that technological advancement. So that's where it's, um, yeah, I, I think this is, for SEMA's sake, I think this is a bad you know, um, position for them to take. It's a bad look.
1: And I think it comes back down. There's a great meme that circulates every couple of months that says, you know, if you don't eat pork because of your religion, that's great. If I can't eat pork because of your religion, we have a problem.
0: Right. Yeah. Anything that you believe in when it comes to I believe this or I feel this way, you can have that all day. But when you try to make other people feel like you do about something. And it's not based on objectivity. It's purely about just, I like it this way. Mm -hmm. Well, that's different. That's very, very different. And I
1: think there's going to be someone listening to this going, but that's what you guys are doing with your electric vehicles. It's like, no, dude, an electric vehicle rolling by your house never gave your kid an asthma attack. And we're starting to see a direct correlation wherever you have, especially in the port of L.A. or on the southern coast, you know, in, in sure. Uh, ports in Texas and Mississippi, where they have put already put into effect these reduced emission mandates, and they've put into effect electric vehicles instead of diesel dredge trucks and things like that. They're, they're seeing, seeing success. Yeah. They're seeing success. They're seeing reduced costs. They're seeing re- you know uh, reduced downtime, and in general, they're seeing reduced demand on the hospitals and on the emergency rooms because people aren't having respiratory events, and we're talking about. Kids, we're talking about the elderly. We're talking about people with asthma and disabilities. We're talking about the most vulnerable members of society who are experiencing a much improved type of life based on objective matters and objective measurements. And, you know, I'm sorry, the kid not dying in the emergency room from an asthma attack because he couldn't get to his inhaler, that trumps your desire to go vroom, vroom and impress other guys at the cars and coffee.
0: Well, and 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 there are people that think exactly like you. There are people that think exactly like the opposite of you. One hundred percent. Then you get but into those three <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, I, I live right next to I five here in Oregon, and we have diesel particulates that if we leave our windows open, it just collects on the window seal. So yeah. we don't have our windows open. We have a clean air system for our home to ensure that we're not letting any of that in. And if it does get in, we're we're purifying as best we can. So. These are all, and again, this isn't just from emissions as well. Let's, let's be clear. It's not just purely about the fuel and the emissions from the tailpipe. There's things that come off of, you know, everything from tires and, and everything else, which is very real, but the emissions from the tailpipe play a huge role in that. And that's what this is about from a health perspective. So, and actually, and that, that makes me think of some, one of the other things we were talking about earlier before the show was even like states like New York, how they're they're focused on making homes go pure electric as opposed to having natural gas and that's another element of there's studies showing that even if you have like a natural gas stove, like how much is that emitting into your home and how can that impact your health at home for even you know anything fossil fuel related. So there's benefit to society if we electrify more. It is not a silver bullet. It is not perfect. This this purity test that everybody's trying to get electrification to pass is just their excuse to say, I don't want to. And yeah. that's fine. But it, I mean, I'm not going around to anybody saying like, oh, it's 100% perfect. No, you have to still like crack some eggs to make the omelet when it comes to electrification. And there's still impact on the environment in a way that you could argue is bad. But we don't have a free lunch when it comes to energy. We have to be we have to make the decision that is best, not perfect.
1: Exactly. And we can't let perfect become the enemy of the better or the, or even the good at, in this point. Right. Um, I just want to point out here, there's an article that came out yesterday from the American lung association. Uh, it's on clean Technica, If you want to check it out, it's uh, backed by the Rocky mountain Institute. Uh, and I believe was the AMA. And they're saying that 19% of childhood asthma cases can be directly attributable or not cases of asthma events throughout the state of new york are directly attributable to natural gas stoves and leaks in home kitchens um that's the highest number i've seen but let's say it's five percent like that's insane and if you could do away with that you know why does why does the public health have to become a politicized issue it's really shocking to me that we've reached that level of dysfunction in america where we're talking about six kids and someone is stomping their chest about I want to have a gas stove. My daddy cooks with a gas stove.
0: Well it's this is this gets down to the culture that, that we live in within the United States of America. I mean we yeah. we have a we this have a
1: deep, deep show for us.
0: It is a deep show but it's these are all very real truths as it relates to these conversations. And I think it's important to have these conversations. It's it's not pretty all the time. And part of what we're talking about is that you know we have a culture in the US that has that proves itself to be there on a regular basis no matter what topic you want to go into that is a very me first culture very often we don't have a lot that actually unifies us anymore and and if anything we're and what's here's again here's the catch too is that's not to say that that's not how people are in this in the united states i think most people are pretty much like hey i'm i'm game for the collective good but you know i i don't my voice is too bland the the narratives that get the elevated and dramatic clicks on social media and regular media and you name it, nine times out of ten are the ones that are the extreme. It's the one of, okay, we're gonna talk about how the 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 right said this and the left said that, and that's what the narrative appears to be. But nine times out of ten, if you get people to hang out and actually have conversations with each other, they aren't actually at each other's throats. <laughs> like that's the truth.
1: So I think I think I agree completely with your point, and we do need to have more clickbaity titles for this thing. <laughs> well, we can was that work. not the point we how about really out, how yeah. about this one tesla and volvo no longer make the safest car on the road and
0: uh yeah uh, i and, don't know and, how either and,
1: one of us are going to react to this news
0: <laughs> yeah well, and, and one of the big three is kind of like look what we did you know look um, what we did
1: so that's yeah, good, but it's great news. This one?
0: it is well, great i think it's because
1: it means that we're getting vehicles to be safer Um, I think we have to consider the source and I think we have to consider what safety means to some people, right? Sure. So what we're talking about is the, the uh, IIHS, the international or insurance Institute of highway safety. They are the ones that give out their top safety pick awards and things like that. And they've been doing independent crash testing free from government oversight, but kind of like to, to back that up to determine how they're going to essentially cover these vehicles right because a vehicle that is safer is going to have reduced liability they don't have you know then the insurance companies who pay for the iihs know how to charge appropriately for that vehicle if a vehicle is more dangerous less likely or more likely to cause injury to the driver then uh you know then we have an issue there and they're going to charge more for insurance historically uh there's a great story for volvo fans of which i am (laughs) where when they switched over, this is a great story. Like in 2010, when they wanted to do the first offset crash test, they had no baseline. So they took the new XC60 that was new that year, and they just said, we'll do it on this, and we'll call that good. And then we'll compare everything based on that. That's how good Volvo's safety reputation is with the IAHS. And then, of course, uh, people have gamed the system. Subaru has additional... Uh, crash structure on the driver's side that they don't have on the passenger side because the IIHS doesn't test the passenger side. Um, Mm -hmm. There's other companies that kind of game the system in different ways. But historically speaking, you've always had the same kind of usual suspects at the top of the list, Volvo, Saab, Mercedes-Benz. More recently, you've had Tesla that has been, uh, at least with the government safety tests, uh, with the NHTSA test, they've shown they've kind of broken the scale by scoring way, way, way super high and also as a top safety pick plus. So this is interesting to see that Ford has gotten significantly better, but it's worth pointing out. It's not the same test. Number one, they are now adding backseat safety to the test Mm -hmm. and they're also weighing the ADAS system differently. So they're talking about safety as a vehicle that is, more likely to avoid an accident and not Mm -hmm. safety in the way that we might consider it, which is what happens once the accident has actually happened. So I'm sure the Mach E is tremendously safe. I drove it. It felt very stiff, very rigid, very quiet. Those are usually good indicators of safety. Um, That said, I was surprised. (laughs) I was surprised to see it up there with the Teslas and the Volvos. I, I, I've, I've actually been excited to talk to you about this one because I, I know that we don't identify you as a Tesla fan, but I feel like you <laughs> might be a little bit of a Tesla fan.
0: Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what they've done to, um, to motivate other brands to, to think differently. That's probably my biggest reason why I'm a fan of what, what Tesla has done.
1: hundred percent. And I think um, in that said that way, I could, I could also very strongly support Tesla.
0: Well and that's really my my take on it. And and being someone who's been in the auto industry for, you know, 20 25 years, I I look to what is how are we advancing this industry, whether we're talking safety, whether we're talking performance, whether we're talking technology, whether we're talking fuel, whether we're talking emissions, and they have really been, you know, the thought leader in a lot of those ways and and also in turn making other brands step their game up. So if, if the evidence we're seeing now is that you know, a company like Ford and the, and the Mach-E as, as their flagship EV as an example is now becoming a testament to, to safety with their name attached to it. And it happens to be their pure electric, uh, you know, not only pure electric, but one of them. I think that's a great point. And if that means that all of a sudden we have more brands punching up to try to get into that scale of safety by leveraging what they can do with an electrified platform, this is just the basics of it, right? It's that skateboard-esque design. So what does that mean? What does that mean? You're removing the engine and the transmission from in front of the driver. What does that mean? You can create better crumple zones in front of the driver. These are things that Tesla effectively pioneered and other brands are learning how to leverage. If at the end of the day, that means you buy any brand of electric car and you're safer on the road because of it, good. Exactly and if that means right. that – that yeah, Tesla doesn't have to be number one. Volvo doesn't have to be number one in that respect. They can all start showing that they're thinking about it that way on behalf of not just the passenger, but how does the technology – they can leverage from an electrified platform, lend to that safety opportunity. I think this is great. So,
1: I feel like Volvo has to be number one.
0: Well, you know, you've always felt that way.
1: I've always felt that
0: way. So, I think I it's mean, fine. like, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I mean, that's just a thing for you. So, that's just
1: a thing for me. It makes me feel better, but everybody else can be a really, really, really close number two, and I'll be real happy with that. And, but, there's, and
0: there's uh, certainly fans of brands that will that will take it hard if if their if their particular brand of vehicle falls short. I mean, you can even get that down to the, the conversation of charging. I mean, there's people that, that discuss like you know, oh, but my car can charge X amount of kilowatt faster. It's like you're both going to be out of there in the same amount of time. But they might hang their hat on saying, I think it's just a little bit better. Um, right. Actually, that that lends to just even some of the, the announcement. Uh, well, two things. One is Tesla unveiled a version four of their supercharger design in the Netherlands, yep. so it's not here yet in the States, but what it is designed to show is their next phase of how they can roll out their charging infrastructure, and essentially it's, it's not really changing how the charging works, it's more so the user experience of it for plugging in, and you have a much taller charger, it is so arguably maybe more visible from a distance. Frankly, I think the red glow of their stations has always been pretty visible. Hopefully, that's still an element. Yeah. I haven't seen enough night shots to know that. But the cable is longer, and so what we're already seeing with Magic Dock here in the U.S. with their with their your version three supercharger design is that the cables, even with Magic Dock, not going to work with every single EV, and people are par- parking in different spots and it's blocking different chargers because of where their charge port is. So if the version 4 allows them to have a longer cable so it can accommodate different port locations on different vehicles while still keeping that car in the same spot, then that's awesome. And if that's another way they can leverage expanding on how their rollout of of charging infrastructure supports more brands, uh, that's great. So,
1: Yeah, I I agree with with every part of that. I think the longer cable is going to be a really interesting play. You know, we look at that version four, and one thing that seems to be missing, uh, you know, depending on who you believe, is a credit card reader. And that was something that came up. Yeah, came up with the uh, NEVI guidelines that if you want to get those uh, federal dollars, there has to be a way for someone to come up, roll up to your charger, and pay for the electricity without having to download an app and share personally identifying information. Uh, I would argue that a credit card account is personally identifying. But well, that, uh, yeah, nobody nobody wants to have that conversation quite yet. But well, I, 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 you know, let's talk about that because I think that that's. Could you imagine pulling up to a Shell station in a you know a, a rural BP station, for example, and you get out and they say we can't take your credit card; you have to download an app and put in your credit card information oh, there. Yeah,
0: that'd be preposterous. But let's let's also be fair. If you're buying and driving an electric car, you have a smartphone like if, oh, if you yeah. don't if you don't that's that's an extreme case i mean i'd love to see if the, you don't have statistics. a smartphone
1: you might be part of a lobbying organization trying to ban the sale of electric cars
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe you know but but people that are buying evs and where the technology can go is it it i understand the position on this to say make it accessible to everyone i do get that but if you're buying an electric car let's be honest the manufacturer of that car is going to tell you, you need to have the smartphone app for this car. Yeah. So arguably speaking, you're going to have a vehicle that requires a smartphone. So by nature, that means you'll have a, you'll have a smartphone to then use it for your car, which means if you have to use a smartphone to pay for something, that's also kind of built into the ownership experience. Not by design, but just kind of just how the technology has gone. Just by, so by consequence,
1: think, right. Yeah,
0: right. And I so I, I, I'm like, okay, so that's where I'm, I'm not fully on board with kind of how some of this is being positioned. I think it's with, I think it's the best of intentions. I, don't get me wrong. I think it's smart to ask the question of like, how do we make it successful for everyone? But if we start making decisions that undermines how the technology can actually make it easier for everyone, and instead we're trying to think like it's 1965, I don't necessarily think that's the right play. Um, and also Tesla backing away from this saying, hey, look, we're not going to retrofit all of our stuff to have screens on it and everything else. I, I mean, I've had conversations with people about this in the last few days, how they basically backed away saying, we don't need this money from California You know, for adding in screens, we don't even care because it's just too much of a pain and you can use our app. I think that's just their way of saying we don't need the money. And on top of that, we just think we have a better mousetrap and
1: look at all the problems that, you know, there's so there's another company out there, a big player, Electrify America, that Mm -hmm. they've been having real problems lately. And now it came out that they're running on Windows 7.
0: Oh, that's, that's been known for those of us who are in the world. But I weeds thought we world.
1: fixed that. Like, I remember that being like a like a thing that was around, but I thought those all got fixed.
0: I, I was asked recently if I could wave a magic wand, what would I do to fix charging? And and I said, you know, I think one of the most important things to consider is the more you add to a physical charging station, like, and the charges that are at that station that, requ- that could break, like, a screen or a button or something that could go wrong – I think the technology for all the management of how your are charging is working should live inside the car. I think Tesla has proven that is the path forward, and every other OEM that is reliant on a third party network to be providing screen something in the physical environment that could be affected by the environment or vandalism or damage or whatever. I think the path forward is is have all that run through the car, somehow have yeah. it run through the car, and keep the chargers and how you connect to them very simple because the the less it can break, the better. And I think that, and I don't think those, I mean, we're we're kind of building the plane, not kind of. We're totally building the plane as we're flying it. So as these Nevi dollars are being spent, and even the government announced this week 2.5, was it? I wrote down 2.5 billion dollars in grants Mm. for you know for community charging. Yep. That's a lot of money. And it's all with the best of intentions, but we have to ask the question. It's like that Steve Jobsian approach of like, what are we doing? Did we get in the room with a bunch of engineers and say, what's something cool we can come up with and then go try to figure out how to market that? Or are we actually asking ourselves? How does this work for the public? How does this work for consumers? How does this work for everyday people? And so I think those questions are being asked, but maybe not enough. And I think the way that we're rolling out the technology is we're we're fighting we're fighting upstream on where the technology wants to go in some ways by making it more intricate and complex than it needs to be in person, like at a charger, for example, with the intent of saying, well, you should have the ability to swipe a credit card. I get that. But if you're driving an electric car and the OEMs are saying, well, you need to have an app to connect to the car in some fashion anyway. You're gonna have a smartphone.
1: But are you gonna, if you're renting an EV for the first time, are you That's gonna have okay. that app? Are you gonna are you gonna be expected, you know, if Ford yeah. has an app or Chevy has an app and you drive a Jaguar or whatever, you know, Mr. Cool Portland guy drives, and you Whoa. land <laughs> I thought you'd like that. And you <laughs> land somewhere where, you know, they the only thing they have is like a plebeian Chevy Bolt, uh, sure. which is a quality vehicle, by the way. Uh, actually, oh, funny enough, now that now that uh, you know the Chevy Bolt had all those issues early on with the supposed fire drama, they actually received uh, some recognition for being the safest vehicle to charge. Now,
0: I think, I, honestly, they they fixed the problems. I, the Bolt yeah. is an amazing oh, yeah, EV. It's a great. Yeah, it's an car. amazing EV. Yeah, and it's not yeah, like that we... little. It's actually a very functional five door hatch. I mean, it's it's a very good car. So yeah. the only argument I have against the Bolt is like it just I wish it charged faster. You know, in charge way lingo, it's a level four capable car. I wish I think it was level six. If it was level six, if it was level it six,
1: minutes. yeah, it would be amazing. So, they'd sell that thing like to everyone. <laughs> like, it's no, I mean it's it's way. it is now what half the average transaction price of a new car. It's half yeah. the average price of a new car. So like yeah. this argument that people can't afford a quality EV, go buy a Bolt. It'll do yeah. the job. It'll yeah, transport four adults and their luggage wherever they got to go.
0: So, but to the, to the point we were making about, what were we making a point about what we're we talking about again? Ah, about,
1: Americans are at each other's throats constantly.
0: No, it's better than that. We had something we were getting, <laughs> getting out about charging and, and, uh, and oh no, but like how you engage. and, and right. interact
1: with Well, I think the question was, you know, it, it are we expecting people who are having a first time EV experience to have that app connected on their phone? Are we expecting people who are renting to have that app on their phone? Are we, you know, and I like the idea of saying that we're going to have it in the car and that's fine. But then how do we answer, how do we solve for that rental problem, especially as all the economists and all the future thinkers and all the supposed smart people are saying that we're moving away from an ownership model and we're getting more towards a mobility as a service. And I don't like this idea, but I have to admit when I was in Washington hanging out with my son and his little college buddies, the peak of car culture there was ordering an Uber XL black.
0: Well, here's what what they're all going to discover. uh, And I actually had this exact same conversation recently with my family uh, when spending some time with, with my niece is we were meeting her for a show in Portland and one of the comments that was made was oh well we'll just take an uber in and they live 40 miles like not 40 minutes maybe 30 miles from portland <laughs> i was like you do realize how much that's going to cost you to take an uber to here and back so the i think what will end up happening is they love having like control at their fingertips to say i hit a button and i hailed something whether that was a car or a scooter or whatever I, I, don't get me wrong. I think the control and power that people will love forever, but the cost that then starts to add up over time, they will be hit maybe even blindsided by oh my gosh, like this is costing me way more than I thought it would. And so I think that there will still be an element of it's it's just it's a different way of getting to the place of saying I think I want to own this. Mm-hmm. It's just I yeah. think it's, I think we've just, I think we've just shifted the timeline back. You know, rewind twenty twenty five years, it was like. Hey, I want to have that access at 16 to my own car. Like getting a driver's license changed my life. I want that. We've now shifted that. Now it's access to digital content, which gives you access to mobility via your cell phone. So first cell phone you get, what, 12 now? Who knows? It's like, then you have access to digital. You have access to paying for something with mom and dad's credit card on an app. So then you do that through high school. Then you get into college, do the same thing. But at some point you'll be like, do I want to hail a car to go get my groceries, to run this errand, to do this other stuff? And even then, you still have people that are driving those cars. They're not autonomous, you know. So some people that have to own those cars. <laughs>
1: that's a whole different. That's a different topic, right? But let's, so let's, it, let's not do that one today.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't do that one today either. But the point being is, like, car ownership is still going to be a fundamental part of the American culture for a long time. We've just shifted how people are getting exposed to the value of it, in, by sake of how old they are. I think that's what what the digital era has done, and that's what Mobility as a Service has done. But that just means that they will make the decision to want to get into ownership probably later on in life.
1: There you go. And for people who want to get into ownership right now, they can walk into a local dealer, let's say in uh, Tucson, Arizona. And uh, <laughs> while they're there, they might have some questions about a new EV, and uh, our buddy Matt Tuske might be there to answer them.
0: Well maybe, maybe not me personally in spirit in, but least. in in spirit, yeah, no. The yeah, the there's a lot of utilities that are that are making steps around the US to get more engaged in the EV shopping, your research shopping and purchase and ownership experience. And through Chargeway, uh, my company, we yeah, we we are now gonna be working with another u- new utility in Arizona, Tucson Electric Power. And it's gonna be part of a dealer engagement program utilizing our software and platform inside showrooms. And so that that's just kicking off. So um, yeah it's, it's it's fun to to get those programs in motion. That's where we're at. So again if you're a hey if you're a dealership in Tucson, Arizona and you're listening to this and you want to take part in the program, uh, you might want to contact Chargeway uh there you we, go we, we'd love to have you involved so but, well i uh, want to as talk as
1: about this so if you have chargeway on your phone you've already seen the app you already know how it works but what what's really cool about this is they have like a like a six foot tall cell phone basically that's a giant yeah. you know kind of mobile device and you can walk up to this thing and you can like jam it and it's it's just this giant chargeway phone which is kind of fun so it's yeah it's, in it's, tucson what are the names what are the stores that have it in
0: so that's the thing is it's rolling out right now. So stores are being selected right now. So the rollout oh. of this is going to happen over the next, yeah, the next basically 30 to 45 days is is that process will happen and they'll be kicked off, you know, by the end of next month sometime. Yep.
1: That's going to be cool. So we'll, we'll make a, we'll make a note for about this time next month. We'll, uh, we'll announce the dealers that are part of the program. And if you're yeah, in the Tucson area, go check that out. If you're in uh, well, you guys are out and you're in Portland, you're in California, you're in Arizona, you're in New York, you're in Michigan. Yeah, pretty soon, uh, you know, this thing might uh, have some legs. <laughs> yeah, well, it might
0: have some legs. And, we, and we've got something that's uh, that just popped up for New York, too, that we're going to be uh, announcing here soon. So that's, uh, you know, teaser right now, but something to talk about for a future episode.
1: So. That's awesome stuff, man. Well, I think we got a show for today. Uh, tune in next week when the Tesla robo-taxis will still not be here. Maybe a <laughs> Cybertruck, uh, something. I'll make another joke about Tesla semis getting towed by Volvos. And, uh, you know, (laughs) Matt will tell us about how that's all part of the thought leadership.
0: There you go. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of electrify expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.